Today's episode, we talk with Wes Clausen of Purple Teeth Consulting. Wes has spent the last 20 years in the service industry. He achieved his sommelier certification in 2013 and was integral in opening several local restaurants, Wildcraft, Berlin, and Loloan Lobby Bar. In our interview with Wes, he talks about how he got his start in the industry and his journey to where he is today. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. Uh, I'm Kip Saunders. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us. This is uh, with me as always, Dan Soretta, the producer. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, thanks. And, and you? Good. I'm bored. Ah, I'm nice. really bored. <laughs> <laughs> My drinking has gone up, and I didn't think that was possible because I do work in the service industry. Um, uh, just sending out a little note to all of our fellow service industry employees. This time is shit for all of us. None of us working, none of us knowing when we're going to be back to work. So we're all thinking of you, and hopefully this podcast is uh, just a way to get your mind off things for a little bit. We have a great guest today, Wes Clausen. We're going to bring him in in a second. Um, just a reminder that uh, the best way you can help us in this podcast is to pound that subscribe button. Uh, it really makes a big difference. Uh, we get judged based on downloads, and if you subscribe, then you're automatically downloading each episode. Whether you listen to it or not, it's just like hitting like almost on any of your other social media platforms. It really helps right. us out. So if you can do that, we'd appreciate it. Also, if you are interested, if you work in the service industry or have, and you are interested in being on the show, we'd love to have you. Just DM us at the Industry Podcast, or if you know either Dan and I personally, you can just hit us up. Correct. Okay, let's get to it. Wes Clausen, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing as well as I can be. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, pretty much the same. <laughs> uh, keeping busy. I mean, you have your own business now, so maybe that at least gives you something to do as opposed to the rest of us who are stuck watching Netflix all day. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have two kids, two young kids at home. Um, so not only is there that to kind of keep me occupied during the day. Um, my wife has a compromised immune system, so yeah. there's I literally haven't gone anywhere. Um, right. Yeah. Other, other, other than that, it's all just like everybody else, all my, my purple teeth consulting stuff in uh, my events have had to get canceled. So... Right. I get so antsy when I'm not doing something like just fucking squirrely. So yeah, if I'm not doing something, um, I, I, I just start spinning out. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've been kept busy with, uh, with things that I've, I've started up, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard, honestly. Like I, I mean, we joke around a lot on this, on the show about like our pet peeves with customers and it can come across maybe sometimes that we're bitter, but like, I fucking missed the job, man. Like it's, that's all I've ever done really. And like just miss yeah. interacting with the great people you get to hang out with at work every day. And now it's just, I just see my wife and stepkid all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, uh, I think what I miss the most is, seeing people's reactions when you give them an experience that they weren't anticipating and right. then them leaving thinking, wow, I don't know what the hell happened. I gotta, I gotta have that again. I gotta go back there. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good thing to talk about because I think that uh, that's sort of an underrated part of our job. Um, 
but also it's maybe something that the customers don't really get, like that how much it matters to us that we like, and sometimes you're having a shit day and maybe your level is not where you need it to be to provide that type of experience and it can come across. But when you are on your game and you're loving it and you're really trying to give that special experience, that's something that we get that a lot of other jobs don't, um, don't have the opportunity to provide. And also it, the, the feeling it gives you when you know you nailed it. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the whole, I mean, the service industry, when you think about service and what we do, it is essentially if you're a complete selflessness, you're mm-hmm. just giving, 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 and you are getting by giving, you know, if you are sure. more open to what you are contributing to, not just a table, but basically every single guest at that table is a table because you are reading their own specific situation, right? Giving them trying to make that personal connection with each guest, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Let's get dive into a bit of your bio here. Um, we want to. We're going to end up talking about all the cool things you're doing with Purple Teeth Consulting. For those who don't know, that's Wes's business. Um, he's, he's doing a lot of cool shit with that. So we'll get into that. But we want to start at the beginning, obviously. Uh, and so, what was your? How old were you? And what was your first service job? Well, let me let me start slightly before. Okay. Uh, so everyone tends to ask me, how did you get into? wine or booze or sure. that kind of stuff so i've always had i'm definitely 1000 percent right a right brain person okay. okay going through high school and all that what got me going is being creative and um not fitting within a box that normally everyone else would tend to fit into I think that's fair to say about you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> From wearing, uh, you know, dresses and just really pushing the boundaries and making people feel uncomfortable on purpose. Right. So, I mean, this is like 23 years ago, 20 or 24 years ago. Basically, at that point, too, all my buddies were, you know, I am a bit of an anomaly. I know that. A lot of my friends were just getting wasted on fucking Laker and whatever designed to drink. (laughs) And I I always, I don't know what it was about me, but I jumped right to quality. The same thing happened to me, actually. It's funny you say that. It's like, I... I just went right for bougie spirits right away. Like even like the beer I drank was I was yeah. I was always interested in like a higher level. I mean that now it's kind of gone the other way for me a little bit. I drank so many hoppy beers and all these new offerings and all these beers are coming out with. Now I'm like right back to just give me a absolute ribbon and I'm good. But like, but yeah, when I was growing up, I was the same as you. I always wanted to like, so I I got an appreciation for like finer spirits and wine faster than a lot of my friends did. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what you're saying, but yeah, continue. Yeah. So that, that kind of, at, at that point was the beginning of my journey. I mean, I, I graduated high school in 2000 and immediately that summer I was in a restaurant. So my first restaurant job was in St. Jacob's in a spot called Vidalia's. Okay. Um, no longer exists. It's called Market Grill or something right now. It's owned by Stonecrock. AKA Fat Sparrow Group. All right. Okay. Um, so at that point, I started busing. I was busing tables for like two weeks. 
And they threw me on bar right after that. I was 18, oh. I wasn't even 19. So obviously they saw something, some sort of hustle or uh, drive to to achieve something. Well, we talked they're, about they're just, this, sorry, not, not to cut you off, but just talking about the busing for a little second, you're the first person we've had on who actually did that. Like I've done all the jobs, but uh, um, we had uh, a guest on who had done hostessing, which is kind of can be similar to that busing job in a way. So how do you feel like that? I mean, I know it was only two weeks, but like this is your first learning experience. Like how do you feel that the busing uh, helped you organize your time or whatever, or what, what, what you tell me what value did it bring to the job in general? Well, now in hindsight, I mean, I don't, I don't know what I would think back then, <laughs> but now when I, when I, when I think about it, it, there's a lot of parallels between that and uh, music. So for me, I'm a musician. Um, I had, taking piano lessons, I played piano, Royal Conservatory, all that stuff for seven years. Oh, wow. Hated it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Worst. But then when I had, you know, my parents could see it was agony. You know, I did recitals and just was brutally resentful of them making me do that. Uh, then I took drum lessons. You know, I, I got into drums. And now... And even then, I saw such importance in having that foundation mm-hmm. uh, with being able to read music, um, sense of time, you know, tracking with a, with a metronome. Sure. Um, all of that. So busing is the same thing. Busing really laid the foundation for what I had coming because I already was hungry. I already, I, yes, 18, super green, naive. Mm-hmm. But I I wanted to learn. And, and do you do you feel like at that time you had already kind of decided that this is what you might want to do, or did that come later? That definitely came later. I mean, eighteen. Um, I guess you don't know what the fuck you're doing, but like, no, no, yeah. no bloody idea. Yeah. But I think over the years, as you get affirmation from um, customers that become regular guests and then they start requesting you to serve them and then they aren't only guests they're also your friends uh-huh. yeah and, and and then that even works backwards somehow you have guests that say you know and fast forward to to basically 20 years later to now that was a, a bunch of those comments compiled that was the reason why, well, one of the main reasons why I started my own thing, because like you have so many people that just say nothing else matters tonight, but what we experienced because of what you did. Right, right. Okay. Um, and, and you know what? And that's that's true for everybody in, in a place that is just running so smoothly. It is the people. Yeah. Well, yeah, order of a place. It doesn't matter, you know. And it, it's it's crazy how it's it's like it's I I'm a sports fan, so I like make those parallels. But like it really is a team unit, and if like one if one 
team member is off their game that night, that can fuck up the whole operation really quickly. Right. Like that. Yeah. yeah like so, but you have, and then, and there's always somebody who's a little bit off their game, but you know, those magic nights where it's just everybody's on and it's a busy night and you, you just feel like you slayed the whole process. Everybody's going home with big fat wads in their pocket because of yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah, it's great. Um, okay, so you get thrown to the wolves a little bit. 18, you're all of a sudden, two weeks later, you're on the bar. I'm bartending and totally out of my element, but also in my element at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I hung out there for a good couple of years. Oh, wow. um, you know, like any 18-year-old does, you know, I went traveling, sure. came back, um, yeah. I ended up getting married and when I was 21, so... Well, it's one of the beauties of this job too, right? Is you always have money in your pocket and you can get time off and find another job, right? So, well, maybe not now, but <laughs> back, in, back, back in normal times. And so that it's, it's a great, if you do, or if you are into traveling and you find it, I, I find a lot of service folk are, because that's how we learn about the world and different spirits and different ways of doing our job better as well. Um, you can take off. You can piss off, go to Europe for a few months, come back, and know you can find a job, right? Like, yeah. and you and you got the money to do it, and you got the time to do it. So, um, so you worked there for a couple of years. You did some traveling, uh, and uh, you're, so that's pretty much on the job training. You obviously had no bar skills previous to that, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, and now was that was that place busy? That place at that time in history. I don't know what it's like now, but typically would get annihilated with St. Jacob's tourists on Saturday. So that really gave me uh, an understanding of having a sense of urgency when it's busy. Mm. Um, that was kind of my, my training ground for what volume service is like. Right. And you're by yourself behind the bar, no help? Uh, you might have another person on just because you're getting railed. Right. Um, but uh, other than that, that was kind of my introductory to that. So this After, is where, sorry, right. yeah, this is when you're learning how to make your basic cocktails, right? Like this is you're getting that's yeah. that's your experience, and you're having to do them pretty fast. And like, if, if somebody orders something a little bit off books, you just got to figure it the fuck out, right? Like, oh yeah, you just have all your literature there, and you're like, fuck, this yeah, eating me over this one drink, but <laughs> yeah, and, and probably and this is before the time where it was just easy to Google a drink, right? Like, oh, and, yeah. and and people don't kid yourself. We all do that still sometimes. Like I've been doing bartending for thirty fucking years, so someone will order a drink that I haven't made in twenty years, or sometimes one I had yet to hear of, and. I'll still Google a drink every now and then, you know, like you just got to, you got to. Especially um, when it's a specific iteration of the drink. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. So you're there for a couple of years. You do some traveling. Where do you go from there? So after that, I get back. Um, and sl like slightly before I got married, uh, I started at a place called La Costa. Uh -huh, I remember that spot. Yeah. That was uh, right on Charles, the corner of Charles in Ontario. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a law office building or something like now that. It's a law yeah. Office. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a beautiful restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> ironically, I took my wife, girlfriend at the time. Uh, I was like prom date, whatever. Mm. Uh, we were, we were there. I'm like, I should work here. This is, this is super cool. It's super fancy. And you know, their bow tie past is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyways, I uh, I got a bar job there. So 
that was another great uh, opportunity because it was my my first in with fine dining. So right, it, it really uh, opened my eyes to standards. Right. So let's talk about that for a second, because we've talked about, about that with a few other people who have been on the show and like the difference between doing fine dining serving service as opposed to like your regular bar pub style service. It's like, it's like a whole different world. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I'll let you ask the question because I can go on and on and on about this. Uh, there, I mean, two different restaurants that I've opened three different restaurants in my history so far. And two of them, I wrote the employee training book. Right. And, okay. So what I, the question I would say, ask you is that, um, and I've asked this to other people as well. Like, do you feel like once you gain that skill set, though, you never lose it. And then that's the, that just like, it doesn't matter where you work or what kind of place you work in after that. It's you still have those, those standards are still with you. You could go and work in a pub after, doing fine dining and you're still going to have sort of that extra level of service that you, that, that's why it's like, in my mind, like an invaluable training ground. Absolutely. Um, I will say though, I mean, something that you always have to be, you always have to be willing to be wrong. You have wow. to be willing to humble yourself because you can learn anything from anybody at any times from the yeah. most green person, you know, I have learned so much from dishwashers, from bussers. Um, they may say one thing over the course of their experience, but it stuck with me. Right. It was super profound. I'm like, that is actually so spot on. Why are we not doing that? Yeah. That, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that even, I, especially as you go along in the business and you've been in it for a long time, it's easiest for us to take like your dishwashers and your bussers and your barbacks for granted, right? Because you've already done that shit and you feel like you know everything. So it's, but you're right. Like it's just a different perspective and perhaps a new one that you fucking need after being in the business for so long, right? Everybody has something to offer and everybody is worth listening to. Right. And that's, I mean, that's just great advice for life in general, but uh, yeah, specifically in this business. Um, okay. So you're at La Costa. Is this, I'm just guessing, but is this around the time that you start to really decide that you, that, that wine is going to be your thing kind of? Um, it would, I mean, it's, it's getting close, but yeah. uh, basically everybody, I'm the youngest on staff there at the point at, at that time. I'm, I'm around 19 then. Yeah, I know. A, I know a couple of grizzled vets who work there. So I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you know the uh, you know Blaine Zimmers and yeah. uh, the Dairies and the, the Sopchucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, So I was there yeah. with all those guys. Yeah, great. I was. Uh, yeah, we can. We don't. <laughs> we can fucking get into stories about those guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take up the whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe they should come on the podcast and they can tell us those stories. <laughs> but yeah, we'll let them tell those ones. But oh, actually, though, while we're on the subject, you're you're in, like that's a pretty that's a good fun drinking group to work with. Uh, do you have any crazy party stories from that area? Um, I mean, I was, I was still pretty, pretty naive to what happens in the restaurant world, really, at that point. I mean, all I can say is there's this one, there's this one manager 
every single day he would try to like lock me in the back safe and like get with me. <laughs> so my, my, my patience and tolerance would really try. Different I've, times. Uh, different times. Different now, now you can't be that close to person. No, no, you can't. <laughs> uh, that's the underrated part of coronavirus is how it's really going to cut down on sexual harassment. Oh, for sure. Like <laughs> HR, this is all planted by HR, right? <laughs> it's like HR worldwide, yo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we knew they'd win in the end, Wes. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're working there. Um, okay, so let's talk about that. If it's not, um, you're working at Lacoste, you learn the... the essentially the fine dining style of service and the little extra touches that you need to pull that off, right? Um, Where do you work after La Costa? So after La Costa, and it it was kind of at the same time, I also worked at Benjamin's Restaurant. Okay, I remember that spot too. Yeah, beautiful. It was a a fine dining spot. Um, I actually worked there with uh, Nick and Nat. Right. Manager. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I had Glacosta actually, <laughs> I went camping and it closed on me. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of closed uh, out of nowhere. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, our paychecks were bouncing and, uh, I came back from camping and they're just like, grab what you can, you know? Oh fuck, man. I used to tell, I, I, cause I've been through those experiences too, where all of a sudden you can just see when a place is about to close, like your paychecks are starting to bounce suppliers are showing up and they're not they're like look we're not coming back until we get fucking paid right and i I always used to tell uh, friends and girlfriends or whatever who are going through experiences like that i'm like just start taking your paycheck out of the fucking till what are they gonna say right like it makes you gotta look after yourself you got this painting okay and you got all all of these glasses okay yeah uh now that i'm about yep now that I'm a bar owner, I do not at all recommend that. No, but, no, no. <laughs> oh, not the best. <laughs> and who knows how much longer I'm going to be a bar owner? So let's be honest. <laughs> um, okay, so you go to Benjamin's. Uh, okay, let's let's get into it though. Like the one thing when I met you, you were already a Somali, I'm pretty sure. Um, so but that's a. I mean, that's a fucking exhausting, long process with a lot of studying. So when in your career were you like, okay, I'm super into wine and I kind of want to make that the focus. And I'm I'm guessing, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but this is around the same time you decide maybe this is going to be my career. Yeah, for sure. Um, So after Benjamin's, kind of worked there at the same time, but I worked at Gentleman's Bistro. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uptown Waterloo, kind of mm-hmm. the second lo- location after Market Village. Right. So I was there. Uh, I got hired maybe around six months after Janet passed away. Oh, okay. Still kind of heavy in there. Um, so Janet lives for those who don't know. Uh, it still exists in Belmont Village now, but it's uh, it's, it's always been kind of a tiny spot. Uh, but uh, at, at, I mean, super focused on fine dining. Super focused on yeah, yeah. fine dining, and uh, Kevin, uh, when he was around, was very focused on wine uh, as well. So that was my my big introduction. Um, I had the opportunity about two years after I started there to open Wildcraft. Right. Um, so I was part of the opening team there. Not too far down the line, I became a manager there, and at the same time, 
um, was like, you know what, this, everything makes sense. You know, it, the more I'm educating myself, um, the better I am at my job, the more money I'm making, the busier the restaurant is, you know, hypothetically, if everyone's doing that. Um, so that, that kind of was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going for this. Let's just see where it goes. Um, I really enjoy <laughs> what, uh, what, what wine, you know, has to tell me and, uh, what kind of, you know, the, the, the stories and the history and, um, yeah, the experience it brings essentially to, to me and to, to people. And it's, it's kind of a never ending experience, right? Like you just, you're constantly, your palate keeps developing. You're constantly learning more and more. It's, it's, it's an endless amount of knowledge because there's so much to fucking know, right? Like, yeah, so, so many goddamn grapes. So many grapes. I mean, like I have, I have a book right here, which no one can see because they're listening to this. Yeah. And it's called Native Wine Grapes of Italy. I mean, there's well over 500 Italian native grapes. Right. And, and that's, that's just one country. So. And that's just one country. Yeah. Um, so heading into school at that point, I mean, life was fucking insane. We just had our first kid. Uh, I was going to wine school and I was also managing 70 hours a week plus. Um, so it was, uh, it was exhausting um, to say the least. Uh, I was also in a band and we were kind of touring around as well. <laughs> this, like, uh, this post-hardcore band <laughs> playing at all of our favorite gross spots like the circus room and yeah. I can only assume this is the time you discovered cocaine because you stopped sleeping. I'm just gonna. <laughs> Luckily not, because I'm already uh, super yeah. ADD, so that yeah. was very good for me. <laughs> not necessary. Um, no, not necessary. Uh, cool. Yeah. So you, but I mean, that shows the passion you must have had for it to still want to continue with the schooling while you're also working that much and dealing with your family and playing in a band. Like you must have really found a passion and a love for it. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I had to push came to shove. I kind of had to, you know, quit things here and there to to make more room for that, right? So mm-hmm. naturally, after you know four or five years of being in this band, I got kind of kicked out. I mean, I was bored as well, but kind of got yeah. kicked out. Yeah. Um, and another baby shows up in the picture. Um, Yours, so, or it just it just showed up on the doorstep. Uh, <laughs> it just showed up, and uh, it, it came out of my wife first. You know? Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> the natural way. Yeah, it, 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 the, the stork people were there to to catch yeah. and cloth wrap it. Um, so after after that, I mean, I was at Wildcraft for about five and a half years. Okay, can we talk about that before we get too far away from that? Uh, so this is your first experience of uh, opening a restaurant, like yeah. being a part of the opening team. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what that taught you, what you learned, what you brought to the process? Go in any direction you want. Basically, Three times, basically two times after that, I said, I will never fucking open another restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I once had a time where I'm never going to be middle management again until I kept fucking doing it. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know better at that point. And you know what? It was one thing I loved about it is we're all on base level. We're all 
in terms of uh, the core staff, like we all don't know anything about what is going to happen in this place. We're mm-hmm. all, we got to make this happen together. I mean, charcoal group, uh, the main thing they taught me, um, aside, uh, aside from, um, you, you, you have to have uh, structure and, and, and you have to be good with numbers, you know, and this is from the management side, but this really, at that point, how important it is to be unified as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say that's, that's the biggest thing. And I won't, I won't really get into too much else about Wildcraft. Basically, uh, I really learned um, in a corporate setting, I have a lot of bonkers ideas and they don't, they definitely don't fit into that box. That's not going to gel with a corporate type place. So I was going to ask you about that a little bit too, because you are a very creative person. And um, when you're working in a corporate atmosphere, that's, I mean, it's going to get stifled, right? Like you have to, there's a certain, the reason why those restaurants work the way they do is because everything's the same all the time. Right. Like, yeah. and, and that's what some people want when they go out to dine, like not me. I like to go to places that are doing crazy cool shit, but like, but there are lots of people like there's people in the world who go to the same resort for vacation every year. Yeah. Right. And that there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone's different, but like for someone like you, it must've felt pretty stifling to be in that sort of environment for, especially as long as you were. The more, yeah, I mean, the more and more I I learned about wine, obviously I learned that I don't, like there's so much more to know, but I just wanted to keep trying things, right? So you learn about all these different grapes, but then you're told you can't put those wines on the menu. Right. You know, because we only serve this and this and this here. Uh, And now when I look back and think, you know what, it's, it's all about staff training and you, you can basically sell anything to anybody by hearing them out yeah getting a read on them and if you like this understanding where they're coming from earning their trust and you know it's it's no brainer and that's how you train your staff and you and i've had conversations about this before because um you'd be one of your jobs is to rep wine as well for a company it's all the right grapes is that correct um they, and uh, with, have you done other companies as well, or is that? Um, I've I've definitely been I've been offered many different things along yeah. the way, um, but this is something that you know. Aside from from also working at the Grand Trunk, mm. I don't know, but uh, them all the red grapes kind of came along. I mean, I've been buying from Derek for uh, a while. Derek's the owner of the company. Derek's the yeah. owner. Kind of the I basically was the only one outside of Toronto uh, when uh, Lolawan opened, and uh, and we're going to get to all those places as well. But I was just like where I was going with this is um, that you and I have had several conversations as you've been one of my wine reps at Sugar Run um, about how people sometimes people just don't know what they like yet, right? And part yeah. of our job part of my job or your job is management and part of the service job, our job is to teach our staff and the staff's job is to hand sell this product to the customer. And you like, you know, the type of list we have at Sugar Run where it's like, I was really specifically trying to go with 
unfamiliar grapes to people and try and do a thing where uh, you're forced to hand sell everything, right? But it 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 all it trains the staff, but it also trains your customers. Like they they don't even know. Like someone comes in that's like, I drink Chardonnay, I drink California Chardonnay, right? But they might not even realize that there's a grape out there that they've never fucking heard of before that will give yep. them the same characteristics of what they like to drink, but maybe just expand their palate a little bit more, right? Yeah, and that's why it's so important to just simply, you know a lot of staff feel scared to just ask the question, you know, what do you like? What do you like to drink? And even if they don't know about wine or what kind of cocktails do you like, right. what do you like? What kind of flavors do you like? What kind of flavors? That's a great way to say it, right? What, like what, what, what flavors do you enjoy? You know, it's a starting point. And, yeah. And, uh, and then you got something to go on. Yeah. And hope they don't say yellowtail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to a bar in uh, Boston. I think it was, I think it was just called, I can't, I can't remember what the fucking called now, but they, which is bad. Um, but they, you walk in and they, um, they would just ask you, give me three flavors that you enjoy and we'll make a cocktail for you. Right. And, uh, and I, I mean, it's a bit of a gimmick, I'm sure, but it was cool. Like that type of expression and it just like focused on flavor rather than on a specific cocktail or specific wine or drink or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it works for everything. It works for food and beer and whatever you want to do. Well, it's definitely a starting point uh, of the conversation. Once you know, because you don't, you never, you never know until they become a regular, you never know where your guest is coming from. Right. They're a first time diner. You have no idea what they've had before. Maybe they have a, a cellar that's chock full of crazy uh, different flights of Barolos and uh, who knows what. But you don't know that until you kind of get, get to know them and, and break the ice and figure out what kind of experience they're wanting to have. And it's a cool thing, too, because now you're developing a personal connection with your guests as well, right? Like, it's not, it's, it, you, like, it also gives something back to us. Like, we're learning about people, and that's why we're in the job in the first place, right? We, ostensibly, it's because you like people <laughs> as yeah. much as sometimes we don't feel like we do. Um, okay, so you're, um, you're learning all about this wine. You feel a little boxed in at Wildcraft at this point because there's only so much you can do. And, um, from there, you go to Langdon Hall. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Langdon Hall. We've also uh, we've had um, people on the show before who worked at Langdon Hall. I think. Yes, Dan. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So talk to us about that experience because now we're talking about super fine Dan. Yeah, like a, a, a much different experience probably than you experienced up until this point. And, and there's a helicopter landing pad, if I'm not mistaken, at that uh, Langdon Hall as well, correct? So yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say the guest's <laughs> name, but I, I know, I know, I know the guest. He uh, usually would always come in for lunch, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much pretty much pretty much anything goes for for regulars there. Right. Um, now, you already completed the all of the wine training at this point, or? So at that point, um, I was still waiting for, so I was managing the wine list at Wildcraft. Mm-hmm. I was still waiting for results. Um, I, because of how fucking insane I was with home life and work, I actually had to go back and redo a couple tests okay. to finish my diploma and get my certification. So I, I went 
with uh, International Somalia Guild uh, to do that. You know, I'll be okay. Uh, can we talk about that for a second? Because I think a lot of people, especially if you're not in the industry, or even if you are and have not taken that path in your development. Um, can you talk a little bit about all the different designations and all the different places you can get your certification? Like, what is the difference between all of these? Um, basically, there's there's a couple different routes you can go down. It really depends on what your, even if you, maybe you don't even know what your outcome um, is going to be or what you're even working towards. You know, I think at the end of the day what i'll say before you even get started with going to wine school you should always be doing it because you want to because you love it and you want to challenge yourself okay not what i tend to see a lot now and this is maybe you know kind of just like over exaggerating a little bit but there's a lot of, and really competitive areas, people are just doing what they can do to, to up the ladder to, to kind of like be competitive against, uh, you know, uh, other, other people. And I would say, personally, for me, that, that takes the, sometimes the, the joy sure. out, of, out of what you're doing and, and why you fell in love with it in the first place. By all means, go for it, do it jump jump through their hoops take all the courses continue to challenge yourself i have the most respect for for people who have their advanced or who have and i know somebody that that has his advanced and he basically did the the test like hung over slash drunk like I, I just don't know how he how he did that i'm sure you know tom simons but yeah <laughs> i knew it that's who it was gonna be but i yeah. didn't want he okay. has his advance, so. Yeah. Okay, um, so um, let's talk about that, though, just for people who don't know. Uh, the level designations, how does it work? Like, So you're, you, you have your introductory courses. Uh, you can be doing this through uh, WSAT, Wine of Spirits, Education Trust. Uh, CAPS still exists, uh, Canadian Association of Professional Sommeliers. Uh, that's based at, out of Niagara College. Um, International Sommelier Guild. Originally, uh, I think there was some uh, affiliation with CAPS uh, to begin with, or maybe CAPS kind of diverged off from ISG. Um, I don't even know if ISG really fully exists anymore, to be honest. Um, I know there are some financial issues, but it was... It was uh, well, there's a lot of them out there now too, right? Like it's... Uh, okay. There is. What IWEG is another um, school, Court of Master Sommeliers. What, what, was there a specific reason why you chose ISG as opposed to a different one? Just, just talking to people. I mean, at that point, I knew lots of people that had gone through ISG. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, seemed to be a, a, you know, super reputable school. Um, A lot of the teachers that were, you know, teaching, um, were the kind of iconic, you know, cult uh, heavyweight hitter sommeliers in, in Toronto, you know, like okay. Peter, Peter Boyd, um, Peter Bodner Rod, you know, these, these, these Psalms that have definitely paid their dues and 
have you know so much uh, to offer. So yeah, to be able to be taught by those guys were were great at the time. Seems like a no brainer, I'm sure. Yeah. So you have uh, certain levels you go through, and then eventually you reach uh, sommelier designation, and then after that, it's advanced sommelier. It's advanced, and um, and then basically depending on on what you're wanting to do. I mean, the jump between being a diploma certified sommelier and then jumping to advanced, it is, I mean, it is, you know, definitely a, a little bit of a leap um, going from there to your choice of, you know, being, having an, uh, a certificate or diploma as an MW or a MS, master of wine, or, or a, sorry, a master sommelier or a master of wine. Um, and what's the difference between those two? Basically, in layman's terms, master sommelier, a big focus is on, um, you know, education, uh, industry-based education, uh, workshops, uh, you know, different talks and, and seminars and, um, you know, working working together with basically the industry as a, as a whole to to continue to grow it and and shape uh future sommeliers um mw's is more i would say the business of wine oh, uh, okay that's interesting focus on on that so a lot of people will be focusing on maybe working with different wine based organizations or companies um like bruce walner is a master of wine and he uh, he runs Som Factory uh, in Toronto, and uh, Som Factory basically run a spot called Grand Cru Deli. So it's a super fun, approachable wine forward uh, spot. Um, so would you say that those um, designations are parallel, parallel, but um, as a as a, with regards to your wine knowledge, but they're just different paths. A little bit, little, the focus is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I would say. But the knowledge is similar or? Knowledge is on on point to, okay. equal, to equal, yeah. Okay. So you you achieved Somalia status. Now, just give our listeners a general idea of like, or specific if you prefer, um, of how much, how many hours of class or work or what or, or however you want to talk about it, like that took for you to reach that designation because I, I think that sometimes people don't understand how much work goes into that. Yeah, um, I mean, fuck, it's it, it definitely seemed like even a lot more work than I knew it was going to be. Um, I am a hands-on person at the best of times, so the my the most memorable part of being in wine school was tasting right um sitting with people having conversations uh around surrounding a wine um and everything's blind right and we can talk about that blind factor with my business later because that's yes, kind of what really stuck with me and why that's so important um but you know, having two kids, driving to Niagara for the for basically wine uh, wine one and wine two are kind of like the, the first two components 
to then go to to take your main diploma um, certification level. I mean, an ISG at the time was considered extremely difficult. I mean, the, the pass rate for ISG at that point was um, basically a, a 65% failure rate. Holy Ooh. shit. Sounds like the story of my life. Five <laughs> <laughs> percent of the time, every time. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean that's that's serious fucking business. So you, I mean, a great sense of accomplishment when you complete it. A lot of work going into it, um, but it, like you say, you, you were into the tasting. You, you love to drink wine. You love to taste different wine. That makes a at least the passion for it makes you want to keep going. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, uh, uh, and, you know. Aside from all that, it's it's take somebody who has a <laughs> my attention span is definitely pulled in all these different directions, right? So right. sitting down and like going through all of the different soil types and microclimates and designations of different regions, and yes, it's extremely important. Um, and doing all that, am I, do I remember? I mean, all of this stuff, I'm constantly still reading. You, you got to refresh, right? Yeah. You always have to continue yeah. to have your finger on the pulse mm -hmm. and, uh, keep learning. Um, but it, yeah, it's, fuck, it's overwhelming. There's, there's, there's so much to know and, you know, you're just like anything, right? You're, you're cramming at the last minute before your exams and you, you, uh, for ISG, you know, I had to write five different uh, essays in two hours and mm. I had to taste 20 plus different wines blind. And you're, you're, you're having to nail basically it's a, you have to achieve, I think it was seven, 70 or 75% to, to pass the course. It's fucking crazy. To you have yeah. to pass everything. It's not wow. just, you know, um, and then, uh, you know, and there's all, there's like another four other, four or five other components to, to get your diploma, right? So it's, it's practical, there's service, um, there's, you know, multiple choice, which fucking I hate, I hate multiple yeah. choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so, um, and veering back into the service side of it. So now you're doing this, you're working at Langdon Hall. Um, yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about, um, like you'd already worked some fine dining at La Costa, but talk to us about the little different touches of working fine dining at a place like Langdon Hall. So definitely from e even between La, La Costa and Jana Lynn's, I mean, I, I did notice an upswing in terms of what uh, Kevin's standards were. I mean, Kevin would be the type of guy that, especially if you were a guy, you, yeah. you, because I had lasted there two years, it was like six years, uh, in, in real world, uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> he would just scream his face off at you all the time. And, uh, he had very high expectations. So whether I became calloused, I mean, it was then that I actually uh, went on uh, anxiety meds. So <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting to talk about, though. We, I, actually, we haven't talked about that part of the business on this show yet. Um, there are people out there still in that old school mentality of fucking yelling and like, like, I, I mean, 
you could you could tell me your opinion. I, like we all have our own styles. I think there's a time and a place to raise your voice if you feel like your message isn't getting heard. I always say to people, "Is like, look, I don't fucking like yelling at people, but I've tried I've tried every single different volume, and the point's not getting across, right? But like, um, but what like do you feel there's any value in that type of uh, management style or supervisory role style, or do you feel like that that shit just needs to end in this industry? All all of that, all of that needs to end. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you enough how much. I mean, as as someone who has had um, his wife and. Uh, his father-in-law pull him inside and say something is something is different. Something is not. You've made like there's a change happening that is not you. Right. And a lot of that stemmed back to shit that I had gone through when I was a kid. But anxiety and depression and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we work in an industry where there's pressure all the time. There's demand. Mm-hmm. It's fast paced. Um, you know, people get shunned because they're not having a drink at the end of the night. They're not going out for partying. Um, you know, you, you see. Yeah, it can be very cliquey. Like, yeah. Very cliquey. You know, you, you don't keep going, 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 going. Um, you're, you're fucking, you know, written up if you, if you don't get, you get called in to, to, Come for come in for a shift as you know to relieve somebody who's sick. If you if you don't say yes to that, you know you're blacklisted and you don't get the right shifts. Or um, you're not doing coke and partying every night. You know you get, yeah you get shit on. Yeah, you're not part of the cool crowd. That can affect your. I think that's something that people maybe don't realize. Like if you go to work in an office, um, your shifts are your shifts. Your hours are your hours, and like you might not be the most popular person in your office, but that doesn't affect your bottom line. Whereas popularity can literally affect your bottom line in our industry. Yeah, yeah. So basically, what what I'm saying is, from all different places I've worked, as an owner, you need to make sure that everybody feels safe. Right. Safe that they can make mistakes and not get shit on. I'm not get screamed at. Um, the workplace should be a place for for uh, growth and development, and people to feel empowered and mm-hmm. that they're they're listened to and heard. And uh, then that in in the end, as an employer, I mean, you're not there to be people's friends. You're there to empower people and to stretch them, mold them, and grow them into being the best fucking hospitality people that we see because that's going to set the standard and up the bar and make us a busier you know city to be in right and 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 i mean that's great it, it makes like for for my side as a business owner it makes my bar busier if my staff is happier and feel like they're coming into work and they're learning and they're like they're they want to be there they want to be there right like and and getting screamed at every fucking day does not help and and having little cliques or um high schoolish bullshit where certain people are shunned because maybe they don't it's not a personality match with other people working there that shit doesn't like i've seen that go so toxic in so many different places i've worked where it's just like there's 
the cool kids and then there's the people on the outside and it's just none of that serves anyone least of all your guests yeah like yeah it's because yeah. what's what's going to happen what's going to happen if I'm a manager and I go and blow my top on somebody in the middle of their shift. The rest of the shift for them is is a total wash. Right. And and I also feel like it brings this mentality people who have been in for a while working in a certain spot for a long time too, where it's just like they start taking themselves a little too fucking seriously too, right? Like I, I say this all the time, but at the end of the day, I, I love what we do. I think it's important. I think it's valuable to communities. Um, I enjoy learning more so i'm better at my job that being said at the end of the day we fucking make drinks and we bring them to tables like we're not yeah we're not doing rocket surgery no (laughs) no yeah and like and people just need to get over themselves a little fucking bit you know what i mean like because it can breed this mentality of like and 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 i i I honestly believe the guests can tell absolutely absolutely i mean i can't tell you how many people i've worked with that and you know, fair enough. We all we all carry our day on our personality sure. when we come in, and yes, it's it's up to us to know how to manage that. Um, but I've seen many people, be it owners or just regular staff, that are tornadoing around and flying around, and they're just they're not giving this sense of calm. People are going out. There's a difference between, and this is what Langdon is. Mm. Back to that. Okay, yeah. Back back to other places. Yeah, (laughs) Langdon truly is and has always been, um, you know, I spent three years there, a place of calm. So they had five C's, which I remember really stuck with me. Um, Cuisine, courtesy, charm, character, because you have to have some sort of character significance to be a Relais Chateau property. Mm-hmm. Um, Langdon was opened in 1898 and, uh, it was the home of Eugene Langdon and Catherine Wilkes and uh, Eugene Langdon had different properties in Tours, France and upstate New York. And there was a, he had a building right beside the New York stock exchange, one of the most wealthiest people, uh, at that point wow. in history. So ton, tons of history with that building itself. But the big thing is calm. Mm. how much yes we got to manage so many things from you know when i first started handwritten shits to uh susie's allergies to you know butt tons of things on this table to to this staff member doing this or to the, to this chef freaking out of me but what am i going to do behind the scenes and all that shit's going on when I show up at the table to um, so if I can, um, yeah, because that is when, when we go out, you know, there's a difference between when I go out with my wife and my kids and we're just in a hurry and let's just get some sustenance in and we got to go to dance or we got to go to do whatever activities they're doing versus when I go out with my wife, you guys go out with uh, someone you, you love hanging out with or someone you care about and you should just be completely lost in that experience of enjoying spending time with the person you're with and not right. worrying about all the fine little details. That's what Langdon is. Right. You're, you're showing up 
and then everything's just taken care of. And would you say that that's like the most valuable lesson you got from working at that place? I would, I would definitely say so. You know, from, yeah. I mean, it's all of the umpteen moving parts that, yeah. and still, but still maintaining a sense of calm. That's, that's, I, that's not an easy thing to do. And I think that it's cool at a place like that where everything could be going to fuck behind you, but you're like, like you said, mentioned bringing your sense of calm to the table and the guests don't even realize what they the don't even realize on. that I have six or seven different tables I got to go to with the cheese trolley and I have yeah. to know a buttload of information on the 14 different cheeses on that trolley because I also put it together. I set up my station. Yeah. This is as a, as a song. Um, I have three or four tables that want to do custom wine pairings. I have another four or five tables all in different timing of tasting menu, wine pours. Um, you know, there, there's just, and then I have other tables in the bar and I have to decant a bunch of wine too for different tables, right? Right, and, you, and, and, and each one of these things too, like it, um, at a place like that, it doesn't matter how fucking busy you are because you have to spend time at the ta- at each table doing all those things, yeah, like actual can't. time. And they need yeah. they <laughs> need to know that you you're there just for fucking them, right? Like not like you can't wait to get away from the table because you got other shit to do. Like yeah. they they can never sense how busy you are. That's no, yeah. That's why a place like that because yeah, I mean tips are pooled there and then that's the way a place has to run mm. um we won't get in the tip thing and i think that's a totally different story when all this fucking covid thing finishes up who knows yeah i don't know uh, how that's gonna work either that 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 needs to be you have to be one unit and you have to know how to drop anything for another person that yes no matter what's going on whatever disagreement you had you know, last shift you worked with them, you know. Well, we don't have to get deep into the weeds on tips, but like, this is why I've always been a proponent. I know this doesn't work everywhere. It's not going to work in fucking uh, the keg or somewhere like that. But like, pooled tips is a great way to go in that scenario because it teaches people that they must work as a team. You know, like it's not your table and fuck your table because I'm not making any tips off that table. It's like all the tables are our table, right? Yeah, it's a place that I I definitely um, respect greatly for this. I mean, they're really setting the bar and and changing the mindset of how the restaurant industry does business is Pearl Morissette. I mean, Svetlana... um, Francois, the whole front of house restaurant team there. I mean, everything is pooled. There are no tips or built into your bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have benefits. Um, chefs run food constantly. Um, everyone does everyone's job. And that's fucking great. It, I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so awesome because that's it, my dream. Yeah. That's my dream. Yeah. If I ever, if I ever opened up a place in the future, yeah. it, it would be like that. And uh, okay, but, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. I mean, we won't, I won't get into opening restaurants because that might be enough. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I do. I, 
I do want to talk um, definitely, and, and we're, I promise you are going to get into what you're doing currently. Like, uh, but I'm, thanks for giving us all this time. Um, we, I want to talk about Berlin a little bit, another place that you helped open, because I am a huge fan of what you did there. Um, I just think it was so bold and cool in an area of town where they probably were definitely not ready for that yet. Um, but talk to me a little bit about the philosophy behind, and you were um, as much a part of that as anyone else involved in it, uh, including, so Jonathan Gushu was the chef there, very yeah. famous Canadian chef now. Um, he, and well, I'll just like, I don't know why I'm telling the fucking story. You tell the story. You're the guest. But <laughs> tell, tell us about tell us about how you guys set set up the philosophy of what you were doing at Berlin because I was blown away by it. I thought it was so dope. So I had worked with Jonathan at Langdon, um, and I had always greatly loved and appreciated what what he was doing there. The biggest thing was how excited he got when somebody asked him a question about food. Mm -hmm. um, he was just so ready and willing to take the time to, to walk you through. It, it doesn't matter what kind of question it was. It could, you know, and, and at first maybe you felt a little bit intimidated, you know, at that point, you know, Langdon was 77th best restaurant in the world on San right. Pellegrino's list. He was grand chef, five diamond place I was working at, yada, yada, yada. But, uh, as, as time went on, um, you know, as you begin to learn more about yourself um, and you, you see the, the change that, that happened with Jonathan because he was also in a spot where he was having some serious, you know, darkness and the demons of his life were uh, kind of, you know, really over overcoming him at that point. Opening Berlin was kind of... You know, his, uh, his his resurrection story, I guess, or his 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 new leaf that he turned over to to try something fresh that I think was definitely needed, even if it was just you know they were around for for two years at that at that at that point. I mean, it, it was a it was a bold move to prove that we can do something basically out of out of nothing. Um, uh, out of a, a restaurant space that had a lot of history, you know, with it being uh, Peter Martin's for quite right. some time. The philosophy behind Berlin was, you know, new Canadiana, essentially grabbing um, from literally behind us, you know, from 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 our backyard to. You know, nerding out, forging, you know, dealing with different foragers, grabbing, um, you know, chickweed, uh, wild carrots, all these crazy mushrooms. You know, it was kind of like what I like to do with wine. That's how Jonathan thinks with food, right? I would want to show people all the, the the pureness of these ingredients. You know, get in, you know, even just like a, a, a carrot from Anthony John from Soiled Reputation Farm, and you basically wouldn't have to do much to it at all. And it'd be just the best fucking carrot you've ever had in your life. Right. Um, so, I mean, I fell in love with, with vegetables for the first time at Langdon Hall. So that's kind of why I jumped on board when I had the opportunity to 
uh, work with him again. Um, so that's what we were we were shaping. Not not only did we want a a small tight uh, knit team that again we all we all work together. Um, the wine list was really tight, was small, changed all the time. Yeah, let's talk about that because uh, that's kind of what I was getting into a little bit about like what was so cool about what you were doing because you guys were I yeah I'm probably gonna fuck this up but like you were changing the menu and the wine list almost daily there's changes to be made daily pretty much um there i was not letting anybody really feel too comfortable so not only did i set the president for press president president (laughs) precedent for constantly (laughs) training (laughs) i just tell you right now if you set the president you fucked up But, but if you set the precedent, <laughs> only serving orange wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm constantly training staff <laughs> in those scenarios. Everyone has to be on their A game. Yeah, um, because they're they always feel like ah, just I just learned that. But Jonathan's also doing that, so mm. he was on point with what. The kitchen was doing their menu is changing all the time. Sometimes we were printing menus, like I would be running up to quickly change menus in the middle of the shift, Jesus. and back down with with menus because things were moving and evolving. Okay, um, so how do you deal with that with the staff? Like, um, like we were talking earlier about the training your staff so they can hand train, hand sell, right? Um, how how like get into the like the legit details like the um the process behind how you actually get your staff ready for a shift in a scenario like that so i mean that 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 kind of stuff had been going on for a while for me i was very used to pre-shifts pre-shift meetings um that was happened every single day at langdon even at wildcraft it happened those are the kind of the wildcraft is the first restaurant that i kind of was like oh this is cool we get to hang out shoot the shit before you know our meeting uh before a dinner service uh berlin definitely every single day would be um jonathan or the kitchen team and myself and i would talk about any changes to the menu, any changes to the wine list. Basically, you're, you're just communicating. This is what's mm. happening tonight. This is what's going on at these tables. These guys are regulars. They're coming in. They're sitting at this table. We know that already. We want to do this and this and this for them as appreciation that they're, they're back again. They're also celebrating their birthday tonight, et cetera. Let's just give them a splash of uh, sparkling because, you know, we love them. They've, they've supported us. They've spent a, you know, a bunch of money here and, you know, with, with wines and the food staff get a picture of different themes. You know, this is kind of the general theme. Once they get used to that, that it's a swirling vortex of constant change. But once you get the big picture of what the theme is and the flavors and the wines I'm choosing and the beers and the ciders I was choosing there were going with things like that then then they get a a quicker handle on okay i I see i kind of see what's happening yes this wine's new but what also happened was that wasn't enough for me to constantly train them on shift like that i wanted to continue to 
push them even harder and myself to feel engaged and want to be there. So I started something called Cultured Club with the staff that Mm -hmm. we would all pitch in money and we would hang out on our own time. And the money that they pitched into me, I'd go and grab a bunch of different, you know, veg and charcuterie and cheese and um, a bunch of different wines. And we would taste a bunch of things, but I would do that blind. So why I would do that blind for the staff is because I didn't want there to be uh, bias. I didn't want their mind to be made up before they tried anything. And I would reveal that at the end of our hang session. Oh, so everyone's doing it blind. All the staff are doing it blind with me. Yeah, well, and basically they don't they don't know they don't know what they're tasting. You're right. I, I've I've covered the bottles up. I've wrapped them in tin foil or uh, put a yeah. cloth, whatever. They don't know what they're tasting um, because I, I I want there's no right or wrong answer. You know, I wanted to hear what they had to say about something because then then there's a much larger chance that this staff member is going to be able to and we're all we're all trying wines from the list already right so they're then then i'm training them to a be able to sell something based on experience and something that had maybe a profound flavor uh that they really remember and they link with um you know obviously i was not grabbing food off the menu that jonathan was was making um, but I was grabbing similar flavors that then I could make the parallel, you know, this would go really great with the Digby scallops, um, on the menu right now, or this would go really great with the grilled trivia. So you get the smokiness, uh, off the, the live fire and the wine would go great with that. And so that's a kind of picture, right? So that became such a success with the staff that I ended up thinking I got to do with this with guests. That's uh, okay. So let's, uh, I just wanted to, uh, uh, piggyback on that for a second like that's pretty fucking cool that you did that um did you find because i know sometimes my struggle is trying to get staff to come in on their time off to do anything it's not yeah not, that's natural it's not something they're going to be behind did, did you get good reaction to it did you get good turnout and what was the feedback feedback was when are we doing this again yeah oh, nice that's awesome um i mean I think as a manager and as somebody who not only at the Ber- at Berlin was I a manager, but I also, I, I served tables. I worked the floor like, like anybody else. Sure. And no. uh, it's important to ask the question as a manager, you know, you, you have to, you have to always ask, how can I make things better for you? What are, what are you wanting out of this? What do you mm-hmm. want to learn? What do you want to know more about? How can you feel more successful? How can you um, make more money? And right. these, these are these are all the things to engage your staff. Um, it, it goes, it, it's so invaluable. It goes the distance to 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 have people, you know, hang out, break bread together, try different things. Maybe they'll learn. Maybe you'll learn something. And uh, oh, that's so good for staff morale. Right? Like I can't even imagine. I, I mean, that's a great thing to do. They'll 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 easily do it for 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 free. You know, and yeah. uh, I mean, it's it's no, you know, and, and especially work some places where we're all pooling tips together. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I would like to say just for my own 
selfish reasons. At the end of the Berlin, it switched to Rich Uncle Tavern. They revamped, they rebooted the concept. Yeah. Um, and that was when I started working there. Uh, it was when right at the reboot. And God damn, did you ever leave some good wine in that cellar? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> it was a we- it, it was a weird cellar too. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it was all over the fucking place. And the best part is like at a certain point, I think they realized like oh like they revamped the concept. They're not gonna be able to sell that stuff anymore. So now they have to. So I got to be like, okay, well, let's just discount a couple and crack them and like, we well, got to move it. Right. Like, you know, like not crazy discount, but like, at least get it out of the cellar. Which, man, I got to try it all and serve it for the staff <laughs> as well. So that was amazing. <laughs> so, my undying thanks. <laughs> uh, okay. So you go from there to, is that when you started when you opened Lolo Ann? Yeah. So I, I kind of, I kind of felt uh, things were things were you know making a bit of a switch, and I, I felt that happening. And uh, I had an opportunity. I mean, they they approached me, said, "Hey, this is happening." Mm-hmm. My my closest buddy um, was uh, the chef there, right? Uh, at Bemis for a good eight years at the time. And Talking about John Rennie, yes, that's okay if we can drop yeah, his. Yeah, yeah, for he's, sure. he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, you know, uh, along with, uh, you know, uh, several other people kind of had a great, great end for me. And then and that, that was something, another, another challenge. I, I would say Lolan was the, um, in terms of food and wine pairing, one of my favorite challenges, uh, just because cuisine wise, um, you're really, it just the flavors are so intense. Yeah, what kind of restaurant is just for people who don't know? Boloan so, uh, was sorry is a. It really is a uh, a Southeast Asian uh, mashup of um, like Thailand from 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 you know Bangkok to Chiang Mai to to Pai uh, to. Uh, Vietnam to uh, Indonesia, you know, and focusing more regionally too, you know, from Hanoi to um, different to Myanmar and Burma and Laos. So you're getting to learn. Not only am I getting to learn the cuisine, and I, you know, I spent a bit of time working at Bemis uh, to kind of uh, get my toes wet. Uh, beforehand, um, that's the that's the other restaurant that Paul Beamer owns. Paul Beamer is a great friend of the podcast, whether he knows it or not. But uh, <laughs> uh, he's a, a great a great dude. But he's uh, he owns Beamer's and also Lolo Ann. And um, so, but all like all the flavors you're describing there from those countries, they're not really known for heavy wine intake. So talk about the challenge <laughs> of pairing that stuff. So really, I mean, it was it was an exciting challenge because not only am I somebody to say, you know, uh, you have to think outside the box. I mean, for me at that point, I just demolished the box right. as, as a whole. Like there, there, yeah. there are no rules. Anything goes. Um, you could have a dish like a asam laksa, which is this like crazy fermented... Um, pickerel, 
usually it's like a smoked uh, mackerel, sorry, a mackerel, uh, smoked mackerel terrine. They got these like umami flavors, like sweet and sour and a little bit spicy and salty and everything in your face at once. Right. How, do you pair, how do you pair wine with that? Right. right exactly. So it, it really gets me thinking and like going through all of the options. And at the end of the day, not overthinking things, going with my gut, you know, in a dish like that, uh, I ended up serving this delicious uh, manzanilla sherry and it just brought so much life to the dish. And at the same time, the, the biggest fear is you're going to have a combative contrasting mess, right? It's going to be hot and hot or like all these flavors that are clashing, you know, you have this yeah. sherry that's salty um, and nutty, but fresh and dry and nothing's getting in the way and nothing, nothing, you know, that, that's, that's really, really fun. So, yeah. I was going to say, knowing you a little bit, that sounds like probably would have been something that was right up your alley a little bit, you know, like that yeah. challenge of doing something ultra creative with stuff that is generally not thought about being paired with wine. Right. So yeah. So not only there, I mean, I, I really, really pushed the envelope even more so with the staff and what I was bringing in. I mean, I was bringing in stuff from a good 20 different wine agencies. Um, I worked with communal wine merchants, which was like private order ciders, uh, keep six for all these crazy different beers, uh, horizon, um, is working with you, you name it, these boutique niche producers that sometimes you, you wait four months for something to land to get in to, to offer something exclusive, you know, in, in a place that seems out of reach, but you, you get in there, you're transported to some weird tropical place. And the idea is, you know, I, and this is how I train my staff is we want people to feel like they're at this Southeast Asian food spa and they, when they leave, they feel relaxed. Right. And, and, but you also have to have the support of your ownership group to let you do all that crazy shit. Right. So that must've been, I mean, you need that. It's like going back to what we were talking about before, like wild crab in a corporate spot, you're not going to have the opportunities that you had at a place like Loloan where the ownership is just like, go. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's good. Okay, I want like we you've given us so much time already. So let's talk about what you're doing now because this is super interesting and cool. Um, <laughs> Purple Teeth Consulting. Tell me how it developed. Tell me what it's about. Tell me about Thirsty Thursdays. Tell me the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so Purple Teeth started out of, and, and you know what, I'm I'm very much just an open, honest, uh, out there guy when I describe how that I typically will describe how this kind of started. If people ask, so I, uh, I don't really hold back, you know, my wife, between all this, my wife had cancer twice. Uh, she had stage four, uh, cancer kind of the, you know, when I said earlier, she has a compromised immune system. Right. Um, we found out, uh, some, some crazy things were, were going on, um, with other members of our family, um, like on my, my personal family, um, having to go to, to court and deal with all that in the middle of all this stuff. Um, it was the one thing that I knew I had always wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to start something, but I wanted it to be 
you know, it's like you're waiting to get married, waiting to have a kid. You wanted to wait for the for right time to do all these things, you know. And I knew along the way, there's no, there's never a right time for for anything really. Sometimes, sometimes you just you just take the leap. And this is something, uh, this stage in the game, with all these other things I couldn't control, where I said, you know what, I'm doing this. Um, with with me deciding to depart from Lolo on, um, it was it was just a, a point where there there you know just be just be blunt. There's value that didn't align, and I think that that really makes that matters so much anywhere we work and as people. Life is too short to be unhappy and to have joy in what we're doing. If values don't line up with uh, who you're working with, um, you know, we need to, we need to do what we can to support those that need to search and find that. And we also need to do that ourselves. So that's where purple teeth came from. Um, you'll see a lot of different sloths all over my stuff on Instagram and t-shirts. Yeah. It's my favorite animal. Yeah. It's ridiculous that it's everywhere, but what all this caused me to do is, slow down slow down um and and that is what life is about is about taking a deep breath resetting keeping things simple we overcomplicate things so much and remembering what is important is who we're with and what kind of wine we're enjoying so that's it that's great That's great. and, and that's that's the motto on my business card is helping people drink well um, and that's one of my main uh, services. It's called Bottle Break. Uh, it's a can be an in-home or an in-business service. It's an education hour, essentially, um, where I do a blind wine tasting um, surrounding pairings that people want. And it's a fun way for uh, employees to connect and learn things. Um, a lot of it is based around tech companies, too, in our area. You know, mm-hmm. I definitely have made a lot of regulars over the years with different uh, owners of tech companies from Michael Litt at Vidyard to Ian Klugman at uh, Communitech. Um, that kind of was the, you know, I need to make sure all these people stay here in Kitchener. Right. No, that's <laughs> super important. No, I've been I here agree. my whole life. Yeah. I just want to grow that and I'm going to go right to the source and infiltrate. You know, uh, I, I've done a lot of, um, stuff with regulars who live in different condos and i think that's important somewhere i I hopefully can see this going in the future um doing uh doing having having this thirsty wine club thing yeah explode into different condos and having uh meet your neighbor kind of intimate fun little uh mixer sessions in the lobbies of these different condos you love where you live. You love the different events that happens, uh, you know, that happen in your in your condo. Um, yeah. So what you do is you come and provide wine for them, and it'll maybe be a little bit of a lesson, and like, and it's it's, it's so something you do at these little mixers as opposed to just like I, one one thing I've learned recently is the world has changed, and it's not enough to just open a cool spot or have a party or whatever, you got to entertain people as well. So what yeah. you do is kind of bring that entertainment and with also not like some uh, learning experience as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's good. And um, so how do people get a hold of you? 
Uh, you can email me at purpleteethconsulting at gmail.com. You can go to my website. You can hit me up on Instagram at purpleteethconsulting and uh, message me that way. Quickly Thirsty uh, Wine Club, um, something I started ironically uh, sooner than I planned. I planned on starting it this year at some point, but you know, being bored and having to scratch the itch to do something, uh, it is uh, a natural thing that made sense to begin now. And it's a way that people, A, don't have to stand in line at the LCBO, they can stay home. Um, there is an elevated uh, factor to this wine club. You don't just get wine, you get my recommended um, COVID takeout restaurant local pairings from different oh is that right that's cool and also so, tasting uh, notes i think taste all my own personal tasting yeah. notes yeah, in there cool. and if you're not going to get takeout you know different restaurants that are or sorry different um grocery stores like vincenzo's or legacy greens that are doing curbside pickup um supporting different you know even coffee shops uh in there as well um something cool that's happening this month for may is there will be two different timelines where I'll be doing a Zoom uh, live virtual tasting with people that have uh, purchased uh, the wine uh, through Thirsty Wine Club and you get to hang out with me and taste wine with me. That's awesome, man. That's great. And also, like, we need this shit right now. So thanks for doing it, man. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, well, please, people, if there's a fucking business to support during this time, this is the one. Purple Teeth Consulting. Uh, what, sorry, what do you call the Thursday thing? I don't want to fuck it up. Thirsty Thursdays. Okay. Thirsty Thursday Thursdays. Thirsty Thursday uh, Wine Club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the website one more time? Uh, it's purpleteethconsulting.com. Perfect. West Classman, thanks so much, man. You're a cool dude. Thanks for coming on here. It was super educational. And, and cheers, man. Cheers. Stay safe. Cheers. Guys. <laughs> cheers.